0: We began before Christmas um, a series in Acts called Sent the Acts of Christians that Changed the World. Um, We're picking that back up and we'll continue in it until Easter. Um, Kind of a quick summary of where we are as we go into Acts chapter 8 today. The church began with about 120 people, grew with adding 2,000 at Pentecost when Peter preached. Then, shortly after that, another 3,000 were added to the church. Um, It's growing like crazy, and people are converting and becoming followers of Jesus. And then there's a little bit of opposition that starts coming about from some of the religious leaders. Peter and John get arrested. Then there's more opposition that comes about because um, Saul, a man named Saul, a Pharisee, begins persecuting the church very severely, persecuting Christians, arresting them, putting them in prison, overseeing their execution, including the execution, the stoning of Stephen, that um, we saw at the end of chapter 7. And so that persecution um, has come about and, and caused those big groups to scatter abroad. Like, they weren't hanging out in one place in the temple courts anymore. They scattered. They moved out. They went different places, kind of like a wind coming and blowing across a field and dandelions just taking flight in the air and going and then scattering everywhere and landing. But where they land, seeds get spread dandelions tend to pop up all over the place. And much like that is what's happening here as the Christians are scattered and spread. Philip, we're told about in this chapter that we're going to read a little bit of here, Philip is not an apostle. He was not one of the the disciples of Jesus. He was one of those appointed to distribute food to the widows and to the poor. And yet he was bold, even though he was not an apostle, and did not hesitate to talk about Jesus who had changed his life. And so let's read some of Philip's story. It's long, so we're going to read parts of it here. But it's his, story or it's his story of the sorcerer and the eunuch. Sounds like a Harry Potter novel. Well, it's different, but let's dive in. This is the Word of God. It's Acts chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 4 and go to 13 and then skip down to verse 26 and following. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria... He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Now let's skip down to verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandakes, which means queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll bless the reading of your word, which is true, and it's relevant today, even as it was thousands of years ago. Will you use it to challenge us, to convict us, to mold us, to change us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I mentioned dandelions earlier. It's common frustration in my yard. I don't know if it is in yours or not. In fact, if you look at my yard, especially when my kids were younger, um, my backyard was kind of a mix between a mud pit, mulch, and dandelions in my front yard had a decent amount of grass. And, you know, living where we do, uh, David Brooks once wrote a, a book about this called On Paradise Drive. Everybody's yards are perfectly manicured, and I'm like, man, I have a yard envy. I wish my yard that looked that good, and it didn't. So I finally just came to peace with it, and I said, okay, the backyard, pfft, whatever. In the front yard, I'm going to try to grow grass. And in the backyard, I'm trying to grow kids. And those are my two different goals. And, um, and so we let the kids play and do whatever they wanted in the backyard, and that's the way it was for many, many years. Um, however, each year, I would still go to the store, spend a lot of time aerating my yard, getting grass seed and fertilizer, and spreading grass seed all over the front yard, which did improve and looks pretty good. And all over the backyard which did absolutely nothing. Just it was trampled, washed away, whatever, like nothing. So I had to make peace with the weeds. Um, The reason I'm telling you this, I guess, is because um, some grass seed lands in places and sprouts. Some grass seed lands in places and doesn't sprout or it gets washed away or whatever. Jesus told a parable about that, you may remember, we didn't read it today, but he said the word of God is like the seed that gets scattered along the path, in the field, right, in different kinds of soils. Some doesn't sprout at all because it's dry and it doesn't take root. Some sprouts, um, some gets withered away by the sun or strangled by the thorns, but some produces a crop, a harvest. Luke, in Acts, and what we just read, is using uh, the same metaphor with a twist, the same words, When it says in verse 4 that they were scattered, it's a farming terminology, the same one Jesus uses, to say that of scattering seed with the expectation that there's growth that comes about from it. And so what Luke is doing is saying, you remember what Jesus said, right? Now you Christians, as you go out, you're the ones that are scattered, taking the word of God with you, and it will spread wherever you go, and hopefully it will sprout too. So the question, I guess, for us is, like, do you see yourself as scattered seed? As wherever you go spreading the seed of the gospel? Do you you think of yourself that way? Right here where you are, planted here. Even that, there's still that language, planting, right? Seed and plant, planted here by God for a purpose. The purpose of spreading the gospel. As a follower of Jesus... You and I are sent to scatter gospel seeds and trust God with the harvest. That's what I want to talk to you about today, is that you and I are sent to spread gospel seeds and then trust God with the harvest. So let's talk about those two things. And first, let's talk about scattering the seeds of the gospel wherever you go. We saw this with Philip. He scattered. He goes down to Samaria. He doesn't go there and leave and hide. He goes and he starts telling people about Jesus all over the city. Lots of people are believing. Um, it's a place, Samaria is, where Jews did not look upon it favorably. You may remember how the parable of the Good Samaritan and how the Jews don't help because there's this conflict between Jews and Samaritans. Samaritans are kind of half breeds, and, and the Jews look down on them at the time for that. Uh, and so, but they go there and say, no, the, God, the good news of Jesus is for everybody, and he goes to Samaria, shares the gospel, and many believe. We saw that early on when he meets Simon. Then at the end, he goes to the Ethiopian eunuch. Right? So the eunuch is somebody who could well be um, emasculated, but is certainly, whether that's true or not, is certainly an official, a royal treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia. And this eunuch is leaving Jerusalem on his way back to Ethiopia, and Philip is led by the spirit to go down this road to Gaza, and then to go see him and talk to him. And he goes there. Wherever is God leading him to go, he goes there. And everywhere he goes, he's scattering those seeds. Now, So what I want to do is look a little bit right here into Philip's um, conversation with the Ethiopian and kind of what happens and think about how do you and I, if we're going to scatter seeds of the gospel and spread that message, how do we go about doing that? And, And the first thing I want you to think about or consider is this. You need to pray for the opportunity. Before you do anything, you need to pray for the opportunity. And you need to pray for the opportunity because if you're not praying for opportunity, guess what? You will rarely see it. You'll rarely see the opportunity if it's not something that's on your heart that you're praying about. What you tend to pray about, you think about. If you're praying for somebody who's sick, you're thinking about them a lot. I wonder how they're doing. I'm going to check in with them. If you pray for the opportunity, it will be on your heart. Opportunities will come your way. So my challenge to everybody is to be praying for at least two people throughout each week be praying for at least two people who don't know Jesus, that they would come to know Jesus. Not just know Jesus like know about Jesus, but know Jesus as, in a personal way. Not just as a set of facts, but as a Savior. Two people. Who are you praying for? Who are your two? If you have them, that's great. If not, think of it right now and write it down. Write it in your phone. Make a note in your Bible. Wear a mental note and think about it later. Second thing is, after you're praying for opportunity, is when opportunity knocks, open the door. Go through it. Philip sees the chariot. He's along the road and he sees the chariot and the Spirit is leading him to go next to that chariot. And he's like, okay, I guess, that's, I guess that's where I go. Go next to the chariot. So what does he do? Does he, does he say, you know, I'm going to really consider this. I'm glad you asked me. I'm going to pray about it for a couple days and I'll see if I'll keep following this chariot. No. He goes. right. The opportunity is there. The Spirit's led him. He runs right next to the chariot and he gets right next to it. Starts following it, walking along beside this chariot, being drawn right by oxen or horses or something or donkeys, and, and so he's walking next to the chariot. Now he's in position there. He's put himself there. He feels that prompting of the Spirit and knows the Spirit is leading him to do that, and he goes. You may be wondering, well, how do I know when that's happening? If in your mind you're thinking, this might be an opportunity to talk to somebody about Jesus. That's the Spirit prompting you. That's why you're thinking about it. Like, okay, now you've identified there's opportunity. How are you going to utilize the opportunity is your question. Okay, I've got it. What am I going to do? And I want to tell you, use your opportunity. This is the third thing. So you're praying for it. When opportunity knocks, open the door and go for it. And the third thing is, use your opportunity to ask good questions. Look at verse 30 with me. Let's put that on the screen. Notice what Philip does. He runs up beside the chariot, and then in verse 30, he's there, and he's like, okay, now what am I going to do? And he notices he's, he's reading. Right? He's reading. And so Philip says, what are you reading? My third point to you is this. Ask good questions. Don't start with just into your your elevator speech or your sales pitch or whatever it's going to be. Have a conversation. Ask good questions. What are you reading? That could be one of your questions. Hey, what are you reading these days? What are you interested in? And it might be history. It might be a novel. It might be the Bible. It might not be whatever. It tells you something about them. You could ask other questions like these. You could, you could say, why do you think there is so much injustice in the world? Tell me more about that. Right? Because those are value propositions about what's going on. It gives you windows into ideas about what people think and how they see the world and what they value. You could ask a question like, how do you experience forgiveness in your life? When you've, been, when you've hurt somebody, how do you experience forgiveness? Tell me about that. You could ask questions like, you know, all these companies have their slogans and their mottos. What's your life motto? What is the thing you're you value? What are you aiming for in life? Right? All these kinds of questions that just start to engage in conversation and then you listen well to things. So, Philip asks a good question. He's obviously reading the scroll of, from the prophet Isaiah, which is how the, what the eunuch tells him. And so he's like, oh, okay. And, and then notice what uh, happens in, in verse 35. He takes the opportunity to explain to him what he's reading. He says, The eunuch says, but I don't understand it. Well, Philip says, okay, well, let's look at that passage you're reading. And beginning with that passage of Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip starts with where the man is, listens to him and asks him a question, and then leads him to Jesus from there. Now, that may be the more difficult part. Like, okay, but how do I do that? Well, you can learn to do it. You can do it. You can do it. I promise you can do it. You can learn to do it. Um, you can learn to point people to Jesus. In Isaiah, the passage he's reading here happens to be Isaiah 53, led like a sheep to the slaughter and a lamb before its shearers is silent so he did not open his mouth. It's about Jesus being led out like a sheep. And he was quiet until he cries out on the cross, Father, forgive them. Right? I mean, you can do these kinds of things. And and if you're thinking, man, I need more help than that, then I've got a great tool for you. The tool is called the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is not a joke. You may not know that book. You're like, I don't know what that is. It's a children's Bible. You should all read it from cover to cover. Um, Because it doesn't just give you content of Bible stories. It weaves together the whole theme of God's redemption from the Old Testament and shows how it all points to Jesus. That's your primer on, oh, this is how this points to Jesus. Read it. Read it to your kids, too. And if you don't have young kids, you got grown kids, read it for yourself. And then give it to them for their kids. Read it to their kids. But you can point people to Jesus. You can learn to do that. I know you can learn to do it because children learn to do it. I got a text message this week. From the Muncie family, from Brittany. And um, she texted me because her daughter Isla asked, asked her to text me. And the picture is um, the kids at a table playing Catan. And Isla has taken the roads and the houses and settlements in Catan and built them into churches. And says, Mom, look, we're doing church planting. I want you to send this to Pastor Conrad so he knows. It was awesome. Here, as settlements are going, there's church planting that is happening too. That makes me smile when children think that way. Scattering seed and planting churches. That's what they were doing in Acts. It's what our church is about and what we're trying to do as well. As a follower of Jesus, you know the good news of the gospel. You know that it's for you. Your mission is to scatter those gospel seeds everywhere you go to look for growth and to cultivate it. But you also have to keep in mind this, that it is God who reaps the harvest. Make sure you have your job down. Your job is not to save. You don't have the power to do that. Your job is to share the gospel and trust God with the results. You can pray. You can share the gospel. You can cultivate soil. You can do your best to help what might come to harvest. But in the end, the harvest is the Lord's. Some are gifted at this. And the Bible terms them evangelists, like Philip is called an evangelist. Um, it's not the same as pastor. If you're thinking, oh, yeah, evangelists, those are pastors, so they do that, and then I don't do that, that's not the same thing. Pastors' jobs are to, to teach and to preach and to equip God's people for works of service. Some of those things are for evangelism. And so that's one of your jobs as a follower of Jesus. An evangelist is more like a journalist or a reporter. right? Evangelist is one who is, is declaring good news. So a reporter is going to cover the news and spread the news. Here's what's going on. Think of an evangelist more like a reporter that you respect. (laughs) Don't think bad things here. Like assume the best, right? A journalist or reporter doing good work saying here's what's going on. That's what you're doing. You're spreading news. You're reporting what's going on. We're going to actually have a a Sunday school class, an adult Sunday school class or faith and life class that will be starting soon in the next month or so on on um, sharing your faith, and what does that look like, and how do we do that? And we'll talk about that together. So I encourage you to stay for that class as I lead that, that class after our services. So spreading the seed is the, the mission and, the, and the, the role of every follower of Jesus. Wherever you go, you should be spreading gospel seeds. But like I said, you have to trust God with the results. So let's look at the rest of this passage and see what were the results of what Philip did, because they're rather interesting. This is where we have the eunuch and the sorcerer, right? And so um, first, the Ethiopian eunuch, This is a man who was a God-fearer. He was searching out God because he went to Jerusalem looking, went to Jerusalem to worship, um, and he was on his way back to Ethiopia. Uh, He's reading a scroll of Isaiah that he somehow got, and that's pretty rare to be able to get. Because he's a royal official, he's probably been able to get that because he's maybe either converted already or interesting into converting to Judaism, okay? And so he's thinking about that, and he's reading it, but he doesn't know how to make sense of it. Philip explains it, as we said, and he believes He's like, oh, this really is about Jesus. He believes and he says, well, I should get baptized. And Philip says, yes, you should. And so he gets baptized. And so that man believes. The harvest is right there. Philip just goes, shares the word, and then God reaps that harvest. does that work in the man's heart so that he believes. And then it says, the text tells us that in verse 39, that he goes home rejoicing. So the rest of his journey from Gaza all the way down... Uh, through the Sinai Peninsula, across, you know, to Egypt, and down through Egypt, and down the Nile River Valley to Ethiopia, he's rejoicing in the news that he's heard. And after that, we don't really know much more about that person. And then there's the sorcerer, Simon the sorcerer. Simon uh, gets baptized, but then there's some weird stuff that happens that we skipped over and we didn't read about, but I'm going to talk about and tell you about. Some weird stuff happens. So if the Ethiopian eunuch might be an encouragement. Yes, somebody heard and believed. Simon the Sorcerer is a warning for us. And it's a warning in one of two ways because scholars are divided. Was Simon really a Christian or not? And um, we're not going to dive deep into that. There's reasons some scholars say, yes, he was a Christian, and reasons some say, no, he wasn't a Christian. We're, we don't, I don't think we have enough information to really make that decision. What we can do is say, if he wasn't, what's our lesson? And if he was what's our lesson? Either way, we can learn something from that. And so that, that's what I want to do. If he was a true believer and he was repentant for what he did, then he's a Christian, right? Now, let me tell you what he did since we didn't read it. He gets, he believes, he sees what Philip is, is doing, and he believes, and he gets baptized, and he, keep, he follows Philip everywhere he goes. After that, because it's in Samaria, the apostles John and Peter leave Jerusalem And go down into Samaria because they hear how many of the Samaritans are believing in Jesus' name. They want to go see for themselves. So they get there. They go and they start preaching and more people are believing. And they start doing things that are signs like healing people and stuff. And Simon sees that and he's like, whoa! Like, they're like your bosses and they've got this power? And he wants that power and he offers to buy that from them. He says, can I buy that from you? And Peter says... No, you cannot, in so many words. He says, you shall never have part in this ministry because your heart is not right before the Lord. And he says, please pray for me. And then the story switches and moves on to the Ethiopian eunuch. And Luke kind of leaves it intentionally there, I think, ambiguous for us to go, huh, I wonder what he did. And I think that's intentional because I think Luke wants you to ask the question, hmm, what about me? Which, which, which way am I? So here's the lessons to learn, right? If he is a true believer and he's repentant for offering to buy the power of the apostles, the lesson is this. You cannot buy your way into power, leadership, or ministry into God's kingdom. It's not for sale. That's not what it's about. It doesn't go to the highest bidder. That's not how you get it. It also means that we don't judge the success of the church simply by how much money we raise. While money is important, while money is necessary, it's a currency in society so we can do things, it's not the judge and the arbiter of how successful you are as a church. Because God often works in times when people lack resources and lack money. I mean, all through the Old Testament, it's when people think they're going to be overwhelmed and defeated and God says, no, I've got this, and delivers and raises up, right? Right? If Simon, so if, that, if he's a true believer, our lesson is, if you want to be in leadership, if you think you got some gifts, you don't buy those from God. That's not how you get them. God gives them freely to people. And it's your role to discern, what gift has God given me? How does he want me to use my life? The, the second lesson, then, is if he was not a true believer. Simon really, if he was kind of like seed that fell on the ground at first, he was like, oh, yeah, I believe but then he got choked out by, by wealth and power and fame, and he really wasn't a true believer. Jesus kind of uses that analogy in his parable, if you were to look at that more. Then what, what lesson do we learn from that? Well, I think we would say he was, he was impressed by the signs that accompanied Philip and then also um, Peter and John, and he was a man who was accustomed as a magician and sorcerer in priesthood, pagan priesthoods of the day to buy their magic tricks when they have power and stuff he would pay him off so he too could be part of that priest cult and have the same kind of tricks he's operating in the same way he's used to operating he's saying yeah, yeah i want some more of that power i want to expand my toolbox of magic and power and influence i'm already called simon the great in samaria maybe it'll extend beyond that and so maybe that's what he's thinking he's really drawn by the status or the power and not true belief in jesus and the lesson then is believing in jesus is more than just facts. It's got to be accompanied by real fruit. Real fruit that demonstrates a changed life. Trusting in Jesus means you are admitting when you're wrong and you begin changing your sinful behavior. Saving faith is by grace alone. We say that all the time. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's by God's grace. It's a free gift. All you can do is receive it. Saving faith is by grace alone, but saving faith is also accompanied by a changed life. It's accompanied by works that show you are a follower of Jesus and you want to live in his ways. And Simon apparently wasn't doing that. That's the warning for us. If you're just saying, oh yeah, I name it, I believe it, yep, mm-hmm, but you're still chasing all the other things in life that you think are the things that are valuable and you're not following Jesus, it's a warning to you. You better watch out. Because you are on a path that is dangerous. You're fooling yourself. You're living as a fraud. Nobody likes frauds, right? I mean, I know, I know people who have been, who have presented themselves as frauds. I've, I've heard of one time I was at a, um, a fundraising event, and it was a great event, and there was um, a team of former Navy SEALs that were there that was fun to talk to them and interact with them, and they would shoot along too and stuff. And so it was a lot of fun. But one person there when we were talking talked about um, somebody who impersonated a Navy SEAL. And the look on their faces at seeing that was like shame and dishonor because of the way that person talked about what he did and kind of the glory of it. And they're like, that's not how we talk about what we do, it's like it's a fraud brings dishonor on the name of the seals. If you are saying, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, but you're going your own way, it's, it's fraudulent. It's hypocrisy. It's what we all hate when people are hypocrites, right? It's a warning. Don't do that. Don't be that person. I had someone who I knew cheated on his wife. He abandoned his family and he, he told me that he should have my support because of how much money he gave to the church. And um, it was basically a bribe, and I didn't agree with that. He left his family, and he left the church, and it was sad. But in that instance, at least at that moment, he was on the run, and he was trying to buy his way out of stuff. That's not how you get out of this. I pray and hope that he turns and sees what he did was wrong. Perhaps you're new to church. Perhaps you're new to Christianity, and you're like, I don't really know. I've got kind of a vague idea of this Jesus stuff, this Christianity, um, you know, but, but I really don't know. And maybe you're exploring, maybe you're searching, maybe you're curious, like, okay, I ought to know something about this. I'm glad that you, I'm glad you're asking those questions. Be honest about it. And that's what we will be with you. We will be honest about it. And I want you to know that it's important to think about what you're searching for. Why am I, what am I searching for and why am I searching for that? Are you searching to find the truth out about Jesus and the hope of redemption? How God has ordered the world and why? Are you searching for those kinds of things? Or are you searching in in such a way to increase your power or status? Maybe if I get God on my side and I have him in my toolbox, kind of like Simon, then, then I'll be able to get what I really want. But that kind of thinking reveals that you view God as useful. You view God like a tool that you can get to use you use to help you get to your ends and your goals. Now think about if that's what you're doing just think about and admit what you're really saying. You want to try to take this idea of this all-powerful almighty God who is over all things and you want to reduce that being to a tool you can use. D- doesn't that sound sort of backwards? Like that's not that's not how it work. I mean you've been made by God. God is not your tool that you created. It's backwards to think about it that way. It's in direct contrast, in fact, to what's happening here as people are being baptized into the name of Jesus. When they're baptized into his name, it's signifying that they need cleansing for their sin and that God has ownership over them now. That their name is attached to God's name. When you believe and act like God has ownership over you, then you're not as worried about building your own name and your own status. It doesn't mean you're not worried about doing a good job. It doesn't mean you won't try, you won't excel. It just means it's not all about you. It means that you're, you have a higher value for the name and honor of Jesus than you do for your own status. And so those are the warnings that we should listen to. And as followers of Jesus, you and I, we are scattering gospel seeds everywhere we go and trusting God with the harvest. I need to wrap up here. Let me just tell you one story to wrap up here. Several years ago, I was in a bank. And it was my bank. I noticed the banker who I usually saw, and he smiled and waved and was very friendly. I noticed that he wasn't smiling, and and, um, his face was drooping, and he had Bell's palsy. And And at the time, a couple other people I knew from the community in our church had Bell's palsy also. So I thought about that, and I was like, oh, that's sad, and a couple weeks later, um, I felt led by the Spirit to go encourage him and talk to him, so I I go in, and I I just say, hey, my name, my name's Andrew, and, and, uh, I I know a couple of people in my church who have a Bell's Palsy, too. If you want to talk to them, I'm happy to try to help connect you, um, you know, and I left him my card, and so he says, thanks, and I leave, and then, um, Another couple weeks, next paycheck cycle, right? Comes back. I'm going into the bank again. He waves me into his office and he says, um, he begins to talk to me and he says, "Um, this is really weird. There's this convergence of all these things. And the crazy convergences that he talked about were an old friend of his that told him about his faith in Jesus, a client of his who was preparing to leave to go be a missionary Another guy who told him his testimony about how Jesus changed his life, and then me being a pastor. And he says, So what do I do? And I said, I don't know. Let me think about that. I'll pray on it. I'll see you later. No, that's not what I did. I mean, that would be weird. Yeah, that's weird. Have a nice day. Crazy convergences. No, that was the opportunity, right? So I said, You know what? Those are really crazy convergences. Why don't we have lunch together? He said, yeah, let's do it. So we had lunch together and talked to him, and I find out from him during lunch that one of the other crazy convergences of the guy who shared his testimony was a man none other than John Kerwin, who goes to our church and teaches our knucklehead middle school class. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So um, John Kerwin and I start meeting him for lunch, reading the Bible together, and he becomes a Christian. And then we kept doing that, helping him know how to grow as a Christian, and in his faith and what it was like to live as a follower of Jesus. Look, all we did was scatter seeds. And the harvest came about. Now, there's many other times I've scattered seeds and there hasn't been a harvest. People don't believe or don't want to or whatever, not interested. And I just remember, it's not my job to to save. It's my job to share the gospel. So my question for you today is, are you scattering seeds of the gospel? And will you trust God with the harvest? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you will help us to believe your word and that you will help us to scatter seeds of the gospel. We pray that you will use that to produce a rich harvest where people believe in you and come to faith. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.